1: and welcome to episode 111 of Terrible Book Club. I'm Paris and this is Chris.
0: Hello. And this is
1: Mary. Hello. This time we read Hamlet Machine, a 1979 play by Heine Müller. We read a 2001 translation of the original German by Dennis Redmond. This was requested by our patron Miri. Miri wrote to us saying... I am a costume designer, amongst other things. In college, in order to take any classes in the drama department, including the production design ones, you had to take an intro acting course. There was no requirement for actors to take technical theater classes.
2: Most of Just the course, real quick, Mary, you are absolutely right to show that that is bullshit. That is, is bullshit. bullshit. Agree. Yeah, agree. Go ahead.
1: Uh, continuing with Mary's message. Most of the course consisted of performing part or all of a play in a small group. The plays started with Shakespeare. Somewhere in the middle of the class, one of the other group's performances involved a sock puppet sex scene right in front of the music building. This was the final play. It is ostensibly a masterpiece of Brechtian postmodern theater. I get what it's trying to do, but it's so pretentious and takes itself so seriously that it's also very bad. The version that I was involved in... Uh, had a moment where the actors were strung up like puppets while disembodied hands tore apart a rotisserie chicken. This was not a particularly weird staging for the play, and there are many versions that have been much weirder. (laughs) So uh, thank you, Miri. This was one hell of a recommendation So uh, due to the depths of madness that this piece took us to, and the fact that neither of us are thespians, we invited local Boston theater director, actor, and all-around hilarious and glorious human Mary Parker on the show today to guide us through Hamlet Machine. Uh, Thank you so very, very much for being here today, Mary.
2: No problem. Um, I'd like to state some of my qualifications for this. Um, I was... (laughs) I was in a production of Hamlet. Yes, that's right. I'm that much of an expert. Um, I also took a class in post-humanism, and I didn't read any of the books, and then I wrote my final paper on RoboCop and got an A. So, yeah.
1: (laughs) Hell yes.
2: Pretty pretty much a genius-level philosophy student right here. That's how you do higher ed. That's how you do it. I also wonder if Mary, she's talking about the the sock puppet sex scene. I wonder if that's a play called Hand to God, which is about like (laughs) these kids and like these the sock puppet becomes possessed, but they're in like a church basement and there is a sock puppet sex scene, but there's also a scene where the sock puppet like murders all these people or there's a flood everywhere. I just remember watching this and being the only person in the entire sold out theater who was laughing (laughs) and it was. Really fun, but also a little embarrassing, but oh well. guess people Mary, don't think sock puppet bloody murder is hilarious but like
1: I mean Mary on. and I have a long history now of being the only people laughing in a in a packed theater uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's very true we once yeah. uh we once made a lot of people mad we went to go see
2: cats uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh, to be fair it was cats so you know fuck them
1: and it also <laughs> wasn't the it had been out for months anyway fuck those people yep. moving on yep. uh, Mary has also recently appeared on the uh book number 51 episode of sweet valley diaries a podcast about the 1980s sweet valley book series you know i never yes. read those but they were ubiquitous they were just
2: everywhere oh yeah like, they were they're like babysitters club and whatever mm-hmm. the other one was that everybody read all the time yeah
1: yeah so you know mary's just making her book podcasting around straight from Sweet absolutely valley. <laughs> All right, if this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes, like today, we read books or other written ephemera, such as plays, uh, that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So we do the opposite of what most people do when they're in a bookstore or they're browsing the internet looking for an ebook. Uh, usually this experiment results in a disappointing read, but once in a while we do end up liking the book. Content warnings for today, Uh, you know, our usual barnyard language, plus we've got uh, cancer, incest, misogyny, murder, sexual assault, and things that are German as fuck. If you are not down with the kraut, get out. This is a German (laughs) as fuck episode. Also a lot of like American capitalist bullshit. So if none of that stuff speaks to you, perhaps choose another episode
0: real real full house here. oh
2: yeah <laughs> Content warning. Geez, the full yeah. gamut but all mentioned very briefly in passing and also kind of you know uh fleetingly so it's just don't worry about it too much i would say yeah agreed uh so this
1: i couldn't really find like a blurb or a tagline for this play so you're just gonna get my summary instead <laughs> So this is the best summary I could I could come up with oh, please. for please. this play. I, Cause
0: I need this. I need okay. this. I read this and I need this.
1: Alright, so Hamlet Machine is a German postmodernist Hamlet fan fiction play where the actor <laughs> casts as Hamlet, phases in and out of performing the play while pontificating about capitalist consumerism, Western imperialism and war, misogyny, sexual assault, and incest. Maybe?
2: Yeah, uh, the author described this as "quote the shrunken head of the Hamlet tragedy," which is honestly pretty accurate. So you know, props to him. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, he knows what he's doing. I, I just yeah. don't particularly like what he's doing. Uh, all right. right, so our characters and setting. So we've we've got people playing characters in Hamlet. So we've got the old Hamlet himself, Horatio, Ophelia, Gertrude. Although she's only referred to as Hamlet's mother in this production. Uh, Claudius and then there's like various angels voices who function sort of as a chorus and sometimes I think have individual lines Uh, as for setting as uh, our patron Miri pointed out in her message to us the setting for this play and kind of the style in which it is done varies wildly by production like it's just there's really no standard it's
2: just a mess yeah (laughs) Which is very postmodern, I guess. I'm not an Mm -hmm. expert in postmodern theater, but um, I think that's pretty par for the course. What that word means? (sighs) That's a good question. So (laughs) we'll get to we'll we'll get to that. (laughs) Uh, But first, I'm going to give a brief lecture on Shakespeare, and this is very brief because Shakespeare is really not important to Hamlet Machine at all. But okay, so here are some things that are relevant about Shakespeare for this particular play. Shakespeare was popular, like Marvel Cinematic Universe popular, or like close enough. And he wrote for money. And to get money, he had to write plays that people actually wanted to see. Mm -hmm. So the modern idea that like Shakespeare is highbrow is not exactly accurate. There's actually a story in theater that I'm not sure how true it is that if an audience didn't like something about a play during the Elizabethan times they would literally shit into their hands uh. and throw it at the stage. <laughs> and it is true enough that people closest to the stage were pissing and shitting on the floor, which was made of sand because that's what they were going to do on it. No matter like no one was going to stop them. Hey, no breaks um, for intermission, so was- <laughs> right? You just plow right on through. You got you yeah. to, the there would have been plenty of ammo. Let's just say that. <laughs> so to avoid that, even in Hamlet, there are a ton of dick jokes to like keep the rabble happy. Mm. So now imagine, like, an SNL sketch from the 90s. I know I'm jumping around here. But, like, imagine an SNL sketch from the 90s where a presidential character comes out and is sniffing a cigar. And a 90s SNL viewer would know what that means and they would laugh, but show it to a zillennial or whatever they're called and they would probably not get the reference because the youths are no longer up on, like, who shoved what where in the Oval Office in the 90s. Right. So... Both Shakespeare and Mueller suffer from what I call the dated reference syndrome, Mm. which can definitely affect how an audience responds. So like Shakespeare's dated references are mostly obscure dick and syphilis jokes, while (laughs) Mueller's are a lot more specific. Like, he was a socialist working in the heavily censored arena of public theater in East Germany from the 1950s to the fall of the wall. And he was, like, very successful. He even did a stint in um, 1976 or 7 where he was a visiting professor at the University of Texas. So, like, they let him leave, which they didn't let a lot of people leave East Germany at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's fair.
2: So, like, you know, he was popular even with the government of East Germany. So his reference are even more obscure than Shakespeare's, even though they are over 300 years closer to us than Shakespeare, because like <laughs> we can still appreciate a dick joke, even if it's in iambic pentameter, whereas right. we're not going to understand the nuance nuances of like East Germany, unless you were there or he had family there who talk about it all the time, you know?
1: Yeah. That's, that's, a, that those are all great points, Mary. Appreciate that insight. Cause Yeah, I also was wondering, I was like, yeah, what am I missing here? And that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah, you're you're missing a ton. It's like, imagine, you know, your children watching an SNL sketch from the 90s. Are they going to understand any of the references? No. And that's fine. It's like pop culture like that is totally ephemeral. Yeah. But, and just because we're missing a lot doesn't mean that we're not getting it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. oh just oh man we just don't understand like no i'm not saying that i'm saying that it's just like it was very of its time in a way that shakespeare has managed not to be
0: mm. probably i feel very legitimately that i completely did not understand what was going on <laughs> no, at any point no. for any reason well
1: yeah. well let's let's quickly talk about the things that we thought were good about this um i actually thought the second to last scene about the horrors of war was kind of fine like i at least understood it for the most part and I I mean I thought it was about the horrors of war and it made sense to me in a lot of, mm-hmm. you know and I was like okay I'm okay with that scene it was fine and secondly the other thing I liked was I, I mean I appreciate the idea of wanting to subject your subject your audience to a, a nightmare to put them in a chaotic you know insane sort of situation um but that's probably all I have to say about what I appreciated about this.
2: Um, <laughs> so, Oh, it was yeah, short. It was yeah. short as hell. Thank you. It was you very for short. Oh, yeah.
0: I this is I also appreciate Miri for this, yes. just specifically for giving us an eight page patron request, which is a new record.
1: I mean, I did have to read it. <laughs> Please
0: try times. to beat that record for future patron requests. <laughs>
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, not that it didn't take me like 45 minutes to read it because I kept throwing the script across the room shouting bullshit, but you know,
1: I actually that's have am- my
2: own problem.
1: I have amazing texts from Mary where. I asked her to do the episode and was like okay cool and then, like hours later she's sending me screenshots of the printed script with her notes on it and I was like <laughs> I love you oh
0: wow yeah. going full like editor here
2: yeah uh, I can't help it I you just know?
0: stared at it on my phone with like with increasing confusion <laughs> yeah. and brought it closer and closer to my face <laughs> but, as if that would help me understand what Chris, was going on I
1: just remember when I you, like you read it before like, I think I read it before you and then you read it and we were having a messenger conversation while while Chris was reading it. So in real time, I just see meme after meme of confusion coming from Chris. <laughs> it's like Krusty the clown going, the hell is that? And then like a monkey scratching its head. It was just <laughs> Oh, that is the experience of this of reading this play. Um, but Barry, yeah. I think you have some, some things to say about what was good.
2: Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily good. I just want to kind of Here's the thing. I don't want to just shit all over this because it's not my thing, which is true. And I'm going to do that. But I want to at least give it (laughs) some benefit of the doubt because it's not for me, you know, and that's fine. But um, so it was explained to me that postmodern theater is more interested in raising questions and invoking emotions rather than displaying plot or characters. Um, okay. Just, All right. Yeah. So it just so happens that I enjoy plot and characters. I'm Same. Just crazy Same. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah.
0: Similar. Same. But yeah. Here. So basically, I, I liked-
2: the, Yeah. The idea is that it wants to invoke a series of emotions, and I could see this potentially working if the author was actually able to invoke the emotions they want to at the times they want to. Right. Right. I've never Thank seen you. it that, work. I've never ever seen it work. That is very much my problem with <laughs> yeah, this. That yeah. is
0: extremely my problem with all of this.
2: When I and whenever I go and tricked into going to see postmodern theater, um I the <laughs> with, emotions with that are invoked. <laughs> usually it's a free ticket or, you know, someone oh. drugs me or something. But the emotions <laughs> that are invoked are boredom and if they're lucky, annoyance. Like that's yeah. all I get out of it. It's not for me. It's just you know, and quite frankly, if it's not for me, someone who does really like Shakespeare and theater and weirdness and surrealism, then I don't. I, I really don't know who it's for. I, I can't. I can't say. But it's for someone. People like this. I don't know. Yeah. But I, um. Yeah. So for this particular play, I found a definition. Like it was on Wikipedia or whatever. That is, I think, accurate for this particular postmodern play which is that the narrative needs to not be complete, but it can be broken, paradoxical, and imagistic. Like, sure, that happens. Okay, yep. There is a movement away from linearity to multiplicity to interrelated webs of stories. Okay. Where accent movement away from linearity, uh, blah, 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 uh, where accent scenes give way to a series of peripatetic dramatic moments, which basically just means it, it pops around space and time. Um. Yeah, and and just is a, a series of images rather than a real story.
1: Okay, so it is a it is a nightmare.
2: That is It is a nightmare. It, yes.
1: That's exactly how I felt. No, you were right. You know, it's yep. exactly how it feels is a bad dream a nightmare or a dream. Yeah, cuz it has mm-hmm. all the same hallmarks of a dream or a nightmare in that in what you yeah. just described. Um and I guess I'm not I guess I'm not totally opposed to that but
0: Definitely not. I mean, there's been like things like music videos or like uh, weird uh, movies I've seen where there's not a plot. There's not a linear thing to follow. Yes. Um, uh,
2: Music videos are actually an excellent um, reference because it's like, that's exactly what they are. It's like a series of images meant to invoke mm -hmm. whatever it is the artists are trying to tell you. However, the thing about music videos (laughs) is that at least there's like a catchy song playing in the background. (laughs) Right, Um, Right. So... My husband put this really well. It's like, what is it bringing to the table? Like, there's plenty of stuff that we all like that's surreal and weird Mm -hmm. and, you know, mostly based on images like Pink Floyd's The Wall. We all love Pink Floyd's The Wall. It's a great album, but it's definitely a it's it's kind of opaque. Like, it's this very specific artist's very specific vision of his childhood and, and the world and his inner demons, blah, blah, blah. But it's got a beat and you can dance to it. So there's still something there to enjoy.
1: <laughs> right, right. There, there are multiple avenues of enjoyment, I think, is, is what you're getting at. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure there's anything to enjoy in this particular thing, but it depends I, on how I you kinda, interpret it. Yeah.
0: I kind of like the one part where it just said Heil Coca-Cola or something for seemingly
2: <laughs> yeah. no reason.
0: Well, he's That's equating, the major like, thing where I was like,
2: yeah. I don't understand. What... So he was a socialist and he was in mm-hmm. East Germany. Or Socialist Democrat, or whatever they were called. But he was also critical of socialism, so it's like, he wasn't yay capitalism, but he wasn't necessarily not yay capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed like he was, I mean, I got a very
1: anti-consumerism vibe from Mm this, Um, but... Anyhow, uh, I am yeah. going to proceed into the things that were not good section of the show unless you have uh, further. Comments no, I think we're already you. there. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've stumbled into this uh, in a po- <laughs> Paris. A uh, small request:
0: Do you happen to have the play nearby?
1: Uh, I do. Mary does. Mary is prepared.
0: Could you just open to a random spot and you got read it. five oh, sentences?
2: Yes. You got it. Okay. Have the real act to give
0: everyone a quality little moment here.
2: In the loneliness of the airports, I exhale. I am privileged. My revulsion is a privilege screened by a wall, barbed wire prison. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what we're <laughs> dealing with. And then I actually, right after that, you're supposed to hold up a photograph of Heiner Mueller and then tear it up. That's yes. in the, that's in the stage directions.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: That was one of the few stage directions where I was like, Oh, I understand what's happening in the stage directions. There were a lot of stage yep. directions that, okay, for example, my favorite stage direction is the breast cancer shines like the sun. <sighs>
2: Uh-huh. What?
1: Or Ophelia's heart is a clock. So I guess that means, hey, tech people well, make her heart yeah. look like a clock. I don't I don't know. But breast cancer shining yeah. like the sun is very confusing.
2: Actually, I think the Ophelia's heart is a clock thing. So was he wanted a lot of this stuff to be hinted at through a soundscape that uh. you would then have to design and play in the background. So there'd be like a clicking noise and she would have some sort of necklace, weird costume piece that would indicate Clock, but it would just be oh. uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. I think there was a part at which um, I wrote the words "written by a cis man," yeah. um, <laughs> which was probably the part where Ophelia is going and on and on about being alone with her thighs. And I'm like, yeah, and that's her something that women say.
1: Yeah, so alone yep. with my tits. Anyway, just me and the me and the tits just, <laughs> just hanging out. Me and out. the thighs. Me and the yeah. thighs <laughs> just having a time. Yeah. Um, so that, that brings me to my next point, where there's this heavy negative focus on women throughout this play. Women seem to exist in this play only to be hated, abused, or like signified as dangerous somehow. Yep. Ophelia straight up gives a strip tease, and, and it's not in a way that could be construed as anything that's empowering. It's it's really hard to view it as anything other than extremely male gazy kind of stripping. There's a part where the the character playing Hamlet uh, says I want to be a woman, and Ophelia helps him put on makeup and clothes, and it's described as, like, whores makeup and whores clothes, and, <laughs> you know, and, look, I I would understand, you know, because, of course, um, representing something in a work doesn't mean that you're, you know, approving it, or, or saying, you know, this is this. Sometimes it's there to be ridiculed. And I would understand it if all of this was here to show show how poorly women are treated in the real world but it ultimately just feels really voyeuristic and kind of like i don't know i got the sense that it was like oh poor man dealing with war and capitalism and then there's these damn <laughs> women over here and they're not helping either i mean it just really i i could not ferret out a feminist message surrounding any of this it and the weird thing is, like, I read a blurb where someone was like, this play is really feminist. And I was like, how, though? I don't understand. I, I can <laughs> perhaps this- posit
0: yeah. something that my, I, I don't think this is it, really. Because, again, I I was untethered from time and space and reality <laughs> as I read this. So I have no anchor or point of reference for anything here. But, like, because Ophelia was talking about how used she is all the time, that could perhaps be the feminist message and just acknowledging that women are objects. Mm. That's the only possible thing that just like pointing out that, hey, sometimes women are viewed as sex objects.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess you're right, but
2: it doesn't, when I was reading it. It say anything
0: about that. Yeah. It just <laughs> yeah. uses that. It I points at it. I think that, that
2: whole symbolism would have to be conveyed by the staging, which yeah. there's very little, at least in the version that we are looking at, Maybe there's another version with more stage directions. I don't know. There's very little that we're given in terms of what this is all supposed to mean, which I think is what pisses me off the most. Like, it's so opaque. It's so, like, self-referential to agree where it's... But you're also putting this on a stage, but it's all about you and your feelings. And your feelings are extremely, you know... uh, Yeah, I I can't think of any other word than opaque. Like it's just him with his thoughts, and then he makes us all watch it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's just like being in his weird dreamscape and not, but not having any feedback from him on what the his dreams are about so you're just like all right that was I don't know dude you got some problems I guess like I I mean he definitely Uh, had
2: problems like his I think his dad was like taken out of his house when he was a child and killed by Nazis like those are the level of problems he's dealing with so it's like this guy has a lot of trauma and like personal complicated feelings about his country and that's that is interesting. Yeah. This play is not interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. I so yeah, just to tie up the feminism thing, I I agree Chris that I think it was put there to be like, "Oh wow, look how abused women are," but when I was reading it, it came off as silly to me. It did not come off it came off as making fun of the idea that women are abused and ridiculed and treated as negative, dangerous sex objects. Like It did not come across to me as sincere in, in those feelings. And again, this might just be because we're not watching a performance of it, which we will do later today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess my next point is this play is eight pages and that's being generous. What can you really get across to an audience in 15 minutes when your point is buried in a script and scenery that is just a fucking living nightmare? And we, I know we already talked about it
2: and how there's really no point, but. Well, and somehow there are staged versions of this that are between one and eight hours long. Yeah, I. I Obviously, eight. they add some stuff. Yeah, eight. That sounds <laughs> he, like actual Mueller, hell. <laughs> Mueller staged a production of Hamlet that was eight hours long. Um, it was like Europe is a post-apocalyptic wasteland, and Hamlet doesn't matter. And it's like, yeah, I mean, already he doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, we're already there. Okay, Wait. great.
0: Hold, um, hold on, hold on, know, hold on. There's,
2: <laughs> there's play
0: fan fiction out. There's theater fanfiction. That's out what there? this is. Well, yes, there
2: is. <laughs> no, but you like the eight-hour version you of just Hamlet post it on you Ao3, have to ex- you don't actually yeah. share it with the world. And make people like an eight-hour production of Hamlet. You've added things. You've you've
0: expanded the universe with your <laughs> yeah. own version. You know the play it's within a play. Fan You know
2: the play within a play in Hamlet. Or if you're at all familiar with Hamlet, like Hamlet puts on this play that is similar to how his dad was murdered to try and see how his uncle will react to it. Like if mm-hmm. he reacts to it badly, that means he probably murdered my dad because mm-hmm. he's feeling all guilty. Great, great part. Um, Mueller replaces that play with Hamlet Machine. <laughs> So all the people in Hamlet are sitting around watching Hamlet machine. Oh my God. So meta.
0: Oh wow. Yes, I
2: don't know. I I, would, I just want s-
0: another layer of confusing to me. I
2: just want to say Chris that I I feel as though most theater
1: is fan fiction because every production is slightly different. Obviously different groups are going to, you know, some of it them are blew
2: my mind with that one. That is so true.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, cause like some groups are going to make small changes I mean, think about Mary, the, the play that I worked on for you where, um, you know, you decided to set it in a circus
2: with clowns. Yeah, I added a bunch of clowns and then I killed them all. It was great. It so, was yeah, you're totally right. It's like I added things I was fans of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I eat
2: clowns uh, and that, then and had that, them all get murdered. And that play was called The Revenger's Tragedy. I forget who wrote it. Uh, now I can't remember either. But it's Tread, thomas Middleton, I believe. Thomas Middleton, yes, who thank you. was contemporary with Shakespeare, or maybe just a little bit after. So similar era. Yeah. Um. So all I'm saying is that you can take sh- things from Shakespeare's time, including Shakespeare, and add clowns and blood, and all of a sudden it's really entertaining. And you know, or you can add, you know, a soundscape and imagery about, uh socialist germany and then maybe it's not so fun <laughs> yeah it's all what you make of it
1: <laughs> i i listeners i invite you to watch uh the 14 minute film adaptation of hamlet machine we are going to watch it together and post uh our reaction on patreon so if you're a patron you'll get that but if not still just find it it's somewhere on vimeo maybe i'll post the link somewhere um yeah mov- moving on to let you know the next point I- I think I said earlier, one of the things I liked about this was the idea that he wanted to put the audience kind of within this nightmarish sort of, uh, setup here. And I, and I get that, but I feel like if the audience doesn't understand any element of it or feel any connection to the context of the nightmare, it, it really, so for me, it really just feels like these, a bunch of theater people were like, Oh man, we need a new high that we can't reach with regular plays. And Mula was like, "Here, let me make this designer drug of fucking Hamlet machine that just brings you strange new highs, but at the expense of meaningful experience." And I I don't know, that was like just how I felt about it after a couple of days.
2: I think I wrote this rant into the notes later, but I might as well do it now. I have a problem with postmodern and experimental theater when it gets so far up its own ass that no one who isn't totally versed in the lore of theater can enjoy it. Yes. It bugs me. Like it, it, it leads to this whole situation that we have, especially in America, where theater it seems elitist and intellectual yep. and like only people with a PhD can enjoy it. Which is bullshit, because yeah, <laughs> theater is supposed to be fun. It, well, it's not well, it can be lots of things, but it can be fun. It can be populist. It can involve silly situations and like just pure entertainment. But like now it's so expensive, and you know, things like this make it seem more elitist than it really is. yeah, and it's not that every sh- play has to be for everybody, and obviously, Like obviously that's true, but I don't know. This sort of thing adds to that wall between theater and normal people that is hard to break through when you really Mm -hmm. enjoy theater. And you're like, no, I promise this play will be entertaining. Come watch this play with me. And people are like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) got to go to a whole ass play. And I'm like, yeah, "Mm,
1: I know. And it's fair. I mean, you're right. And I mean, theater, theater is the, It's supposed to be accessible, but as you said, for many reasons, it is not. And things like this make it just push it even more into the the fringes of elitism
2: and and people totally for it. And it's not like everything has to be for everyone. But this is specifically a play based on Hamlet by Shakespeare, who is like one of the most popular theater people (laughs) in the history of theater. And it's like Shakespeare would not have enjoyed this. Uh, Shakespeare would have been much more prone to making the sort of middle brow Oscar bait that we enjoy on a regular basis that everybody watches and kind of enjoys, you know? Yeah. He's more like that, except maybe a little better than that. But still, (laughs) Um, he he wants people to enjoy what he does.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if Muda is really going for that.
2: No, definitely not. I mean, you could and care and less and about what the audience thinks. He <laughs> yeah. really could. That's part of postmodernism. Is like, right? They don't super care how the audience feels about it. It's not about them. It's about the creator, or the writer, or whatever demons they're trying to exercise at that particular time.
1: God, that's fucking self indulgent.
2: I mean, yeah, just a little bit.
1: <laughs> Damn.
0: Isn't most art in some way a minorly self indulgent? Yeah, of
1: course, but. Uh, Yeah, that's that's a whole other end of it. I don't know. I mean, I guess that could be liberating in a lot of ways, right? If you're like, fuck this, I'm gonna make this for me. I'm gonna get some weirdos to perform it. And if everyone hates it, good. (laughs) I'm gonna go back to my little writing hut. See you later. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, it, I actually found a quote where he talks about this play. The, the actual author talks about it. He says, Oh, it became more than ever anticipated a self critique of the intellectual. It is the description of a petrified hope an effort to articulate a despair so it can be left behind. So basically it's like writing in his dream journal and it yes. doesn't sound like something that was supposed to be so popular and widespread, mm. but it resonated with a lot of pretentious people. And so now here we are talking about it. Yeah,
1: here we are. Yeah, and yeah, for me, and I know know we've kind of already talked about this a lot, unplanned, but it's obvious to me that the confusion and nonsensical nature of the dialogue and the stage directions and scenery, it's just intentionally weird. It's supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not into things that are weird to be weird. I actually hate that. So for me, it doesn't work. You know, postmodernism is not for me. This play isn't for me. I even dislike performance art in general because they don't often spark a meaningful conversation or thought beyond, well, that was fucking weird, man. (laughs) I mean, at at least in my experience, I mean, yeah, I can't really think of much. Um, I think the only performance art that I ever heard of and was like, Oh, was when that woman played at sleeping beauty and just let people come up to her and kiss her while she was asleep and people like assaulted her and stuff. And I was like, wow, that's, that's fucked up. All right, yeah, that has something to say that, about
2: rape culture and, you know, whatever, sure. Absolutely, because it said something. Like, yeah. that, it was an accessible piece of performance art yeah. that was not, like, she was making a direct statement about rape culture, which is great. More people should do that, especially through art. Like, go for it. It should be top of people's minds at all times. But, like, and she and she achieved that. Right. A lot of this seems to be a lot of the more self-indulgent stuff seems to be they don't care what the audience reaction is. Right. They're just doing what they want to do because it's somehow meaningful for them. But I'm like, I don't care about you random artist. I'm not your friend. I'm not your family. Why should I give a shit about your personal inner vision if you're not trying to tell me anything?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless by chance I share that same Exact inner vision and have the mm-hmm. same exact problems and just connect with you. I mean, what's the chance of that happening?
0: <laughs> I'm right. imagining someone sitting in the audience of a like Hamlet <laughs> machine being like, yeah, no, I yes. Totally kidding, I man. can't believe someone said this. Finally.
2: <laughs> he said breast cancer
1: shining like the sun. I tried to tell you all this. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Muno, where are you?
2: We must get married, most uh, yeah, yeah. We must elope. Or you're supposed supposed the shining to get your breast own cancer thing. sun. Yeah, <laughs> Only, or you're supposed to get your own thing out of it, but I just find that I mean personally, like this is just me and my art myopia or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. get anything out of things like that. I really don't. I'm just like look at a weird image or look at some surrealism or whatever, and I'm just like yeah, okay. It's got a lot of orange yeah. in it. I like orange. Like I don't. Yeah, know yeah. You're, you're trying to find so something.
0: When it's so untethered from, like, anything that you could pull out of it, I just end up walking away confused, and maybe that's specifically the emotion Mm -hmm. that this dude was trying to pull out of people, and if so, okay, great job, because... It, but that kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> of things for me where I'm walking out of there without anything to like, that's my whole problem with like doing this episode right now. I'm just sitting here going like, what the fuck do I even say? Besides I confuse. <laughs> yes. I am that's the thing. You
2: can get confused reading instructions for putting together some Ikea furniture and at least <laughs> then yes. you have a nice bookcase at the end of it. It's like, what I, <laughs>
0: No, I what can't, are you bringing per- to the table? Billy Bookcase, the musical. Okay, but I actually had a comparison to make here of something that it was also sort of abstracted away. I was at the MFA the other week in Boston and they had Ooh. a um they had an exhibit on like graffiti artists and uh I think Basquiat is one mm-hmm. that is pretty famous. Mm-hmm. A French guy that worked in New York, I think. Um I didn't read many of the plaques. I just looked at stuff because the plaques are very small. <laughs> it's hard for me to read. So I just kind of look at the thing and just Pull my own interpretation out and walk away anyway there was this one piece and it was like um know, like a maybe an eight foot by like six foot high board and standing from a distance it kind of looked like a blueprint almost where there was like just a bunch of like you know written out words and like arrows pointing in different directions and it was kind of like celled off into like nine different spaces and when you got closer you saw that, like, each individual cell was, like, vaguely related terms. Like, in one area, it was, like, Louis Sixteenth and the French Revolution and, like, cannons or something. And they would all just have weird arrows pointing back and forth to, like, different concepts. And that would kind of link mm-hmm. to another cell by, like, one word or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was confusing and somewhat opaque in exactly what the thought process was. But what I took out of it was, like, oh, here's someone's particular way of like free associating these thoughts in his particular mind. yeah, And I could see that based on the composition of it being laid out, kind of like a blueprint almost. And that might be what Mueller was going for here in a way too. Like, here's my particular free associative thought pattern here. But when I don't have any sort of composition that makes that clearer to me, or at least gives me somewhat of an insight for how you're connecting these ideas, like this piece in the graffiti thing had literal arrows connecting thoughts together. Right. I, I can only get confusion out of it. And I can't pull anything outside of like, oh, this is like one guy's, uh, like for the Basquiat thing, that was like very particular hit. Like, oh, this is how he associates these particular things. And it might be fun to untangle those things. Yeah. But in this, there was none of that. Yeah. So. The,
2: yeah. I think that um, it, the the problem is that the, writing a description of this painting that you're describing um, or even verbally saying it like you did just now is one thing. And then seeing it in the MFA finish piece yes. is another. And that's kind of yes. like the same with this. Like we're reading a description of what something that should be acted out in a physical space. And so we're not getting the full picture.
1: Yeah, correct.
2: I am ambivalent about whether or not the full picture is worth seeing even based on this description. <laughs> Whereas from your description of this, this graffiti piece you're talking about, like that sounds cool. And like something yeah. i want to look at. Same. So yeah. good job. You did a better job than her than Mueller at describing <laughs> something that I want to see. So Bravo.
1: Yeah. and Chris, I think you had a great point in the notes, um, similar to what Mary was saying earlier where, you know, making sort of making theater, less accessible, more elitist. Um, Chris, I don't know if you want to read the note instead of me, but uh, you were, Um, you were talking about, you were explaining like your, um, that even at that exhibit at the Museum of Fine Arts, there was a similar thing where a lot of the pieces had little paragraphs on them and most of the paragraph was saying, this is a take on postmodern something, a rhythm, a rhythm with a blah, 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 is Ben. And <laughs> your note was like, I don't give a fuck what genre this is a twist on if I can't understand it. And if all of your explanatory, explanatory context assumes I know what all of that is, it's a bad explanation. So there's just all these walls, you know, these like locks keeping you from really experiencing anything other than confusion
2: yeah, and yeah. if it's a piece of art that's only meant for other artists, then maybe it shouldn't be in a public art building. Yeah. Love to say about that. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I would also like to credit my partner Rebecca for actually articulating that thought in the first place for me, which made it much clearer when I was reading this thing on how I felt about that.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks Rebecca.
0: Citing my sources. Props to yeah. Rebecca.
1: Yeah. Um, I I was also just thinking, you know, when Mary was talking about how, you know, we're definitely missing a piece of it by not watching a performance. And I agreed. I started to think about how I did actually like the stage direction where he's like, Oh, rip up a picture of me. But then I'm like, if you're in the fucking audience, you don't know what he looks (laughs) like. You don't know what that picture is. Like how did, so.
2: Well, this is another thing about, about dated references. It's that he was an incredibly popular writer in East Berlin (laughs) from Mm. the 50s to the 70s. So people in the audience very well might have known what he looks like which is something that's going to be lost in subsequent generations doing this thing without looking at his photo on Wikipedia.
1: Yeah. And I'm also, well, I guess I was just thinking like, how big would the photo have to be for the audience to be able to fucking (laughs) see it? Right. Like I wouldn't be ripping up this
2: giant poster board. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) no, absolutely. But on the other hand, theater people absolutely put little Easter eggs in their own shows that no one in the audience will ever be intended to see but they're not usually something that's so big and in the audience's face as showing them a picture and ripping it up as if that's supposed to mean anything to them. (laughs) It's usually some little dumb bullshit in the background. I do that all the time and I love it. It's my favorite part usually, but it's not for (laughs) anyone and it doesn't, it doesn't distract from anything.
1: Yeah. All right, Mary, I think I'm going to let you close this out because you got to get a good (laughs) note here about what we're talking about right now.
2: Yeah, okay. So uh, basically just what I said was what I dislike most about postmodern theater and really anything um, in this sort of experimental arena is that it's so elitist. And most of these plays seem to be intended for an audience that is so bored with theater, like Paris said, that they have to pursue a new kind of high (laughs) and an intellectually stimulating philosophical experience, which is great. Fine, great, good for them. But it simply adds to the...
0: you want a the, nightmare? I got, I, got a, <laughs> I got a play nightmare in here. Check it out.
2: <laughs> hey man, right down here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's like, you're great. But it it just makes it more impenetrable for people who are not familiar with theater, who hear about these kind of things that get famous. And they're just like, well, that's just some more intellectual bullshit. And honestly, this is like a giant problem in all of America right now let's just say <laughs> where there seems to be this big schism between so-called intellectualism and i don't know what you even call the other side populism
1: yeah regular but you populism. know it
2: these are the sort of things where if you made an interesting postmodern piece that spoke to lots of different people wouldn't that be even more impressive then yeah. whatever this yes. is like green, that would be really cool
0: but it would be it but instead doesn't we happen got- <laughs> very often <in> the- <laughs> we got hey kid you want to see breast cancer <laughs> shine like the sun
1: hey kid you want a bump of Müller <laughs>
2: <laughs> want to hear Hamlet say really gross things about Gertrude <laughs> super gross I promise
1: Oh yeah, we like, didn't even okay, talk. We, we didn't even talk about the creepy incest lines. Actually, I think before, yeah, we don't need to. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we don't. But I think before we go to the "Can we fix it" section, I really think we should have some more lines read from the from the play, so yeah, you as just, listeners can understand it's a short
2: episode how
1: confusing the dialogue and the text is. I mean, even just the very beginning oh,
2: opening monologue. I'm going to start from the very beginning. Perfect. Although I do like in this in the stage notes. Uh, Let's see uh, some of the text they quote English words and phrases. These are outlined below in rectangles rather than an alternate font or italics, so as not to disrupt Mueller's deliberate use of capital letters and spacing, so important in a theater piece that people (laughs) are listening to with their ears (laughs) to know what (laughs) things are capitalized. Okay. Anyway, I was Hamlet. I stood on the coast and spoke with the surf, blah, blah, at my back, the ruins of Europe. The bells sounded in the state funeral, murderer and widow a pair, the town counselors in goose step. That's, that's way too soon. Too soon, Mueller. <laughs> Behind the coffin of the high cadaver. I kind of like that, actually. High cadaver. Yeah. That would be a good band name. That's a, yeah. There's a good it's couple a good band of name, name, like,
0: name. phrases yeah, in here. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Wailing in badly paid grief, who is the corpse in the meat wagon sty? Those are all capitalized, so I'm going to assume they're shouted. For whom is there such a hue and cry? That's some rhyming, so that's (laughs) nice at least. The corpse is of a great giver of estate. Love it. Love it. Anyway, you get the idea. Sure, I did like the badly you- paid grief because they, you know, people did actually used to pay for mourners at funerals. That was a thing that happened in the past, so I thought that was funny. Yeah, but you know, otherwise, fuck this shit.
0: <laughs> give give us one more random poll. Just like right, let right. the page like, fall open where they. Oh
1: may. oh, maybe like Ophelia's monologue or well, whatever. about her alone with her. Yeah, little little Ophelia, their- yeah oh, give us a
2: little Ophelia. Yeah. Here's yeah, a little Ophelia for for some Ophelia for your nerve. I am Ophelia she who the river could not hold the woman on the gallows the woman with the slashed arteries the woman with the overdose on the lips snow the woman with the head in the gas oven i don't know on the lips, snow is capitalized i don't know what to tell you yeah yesterday i stopped killing myself great that's great cool Good for you ophelia
1: good job good work and now she's I re- just alone so just with a- her thighs. You know, yeah. what are you going to do? Someone
2: said that the last... <laughs> I'm always
0: alone with my thighs. <laughs>
2: so I, re- I, was- I saw some lecture somewhere that said the last line of Ophelia's monologue um, was actually a quote from Squeaky Frome. So talk about, like, obscure <laughs> 70s references. What is Squeaky no one- Frome? Oh, she was the one who tried to assassinate um, Gerald Ford, I want to say. Reagan? Wagon or Ford, one of them. We can't remember. <laughs> I didn't even know that there were assassination
1: tips on those presents. Yes.
2: So anyway, oh, wow. there you go.
1: All right. Well, <laughs> now that we've we've really just just tied the bow on that weirdness for you uh with Mary's performance, let's move into the can we fix it section. Uh Chris, what do you think? Um, can we fix this?
0: Um, uh, I definitely can't. This is like, you know, <laughs> rolling me up to like a Mars rover that has broken in, in Mars atmosphere. <laughs> and it's telling me, hey, fix it up, please. I have no frame of reference to begin to untangle what could possibly be wrong and how to fix it. So I can, I have to
1: bow out. Chris I'm bowing sorry. out. All right. Nice. Nice <laughs> attempt. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there is definitely a way to plunge your audience into chaos, but still have them be aware of why you're doing that, you know, perhaps with clearer dialogue, a longer runtime, or just a more focused concept. Although apparently all of that is the antithesis of postmodernism. So I mean, yeah, sorry. Yeah. You'll get it, Paris. I know. I'm a fucking idiot. <laughs> God damn it. I actually did feel incredibly <laughs> stupid the first time I read this. I was like, I didn't understand what I read. I'm an idiot.
2: Maybe that's the feeling he was trying to invoke. Who knows? Maybe.
1: Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think this could be, you know, I think you can do a reinterpretation of Hamlet about East Berlin in the 70s. But you just, I don't know. Again, back to the points we've made many times, there needs to be some sense of purpose here other than confusion, because a lot of things can confuse you. I could just say <laughs> say nonsense words at you and that would confuse you, but then you're going to fucking put on a whole play about it? Like, why put all that effort in if it's just about confusion or uneasiness? Anyhow, I, yeah, I think a lot of things would need to change um, for this to be kind of something that was palatable to me. Of course, I know this is a very popular play. A lot of other people enjoy it for its people who like things that are weird for the sake of weird. I guess if you are one of those people, this is for you. Alas, it is not for me. Mary, what do you yeah. think? Yeah,
2: there's a four-hour opera version, apparently. Oh God! Oh. We want to go deep. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, can we fix it? Um, no, I don't think so. Absolutely not. I I don't want anything to do with this. It gives me hives. Um, I get <laughs> mad at people who perform. I, I I like. I I even get mad at people who perform Hamlet in a way that I consider wrong. <laughs> I think because Hamlet is so. Good, and it's about a man that directors tend to do it in a way that's totally joyless and too serious, and they suck all of the fun and joy out of Hamlet. Hamlet has a ghost. Like, come on, it's a fun play. It's got a ghost.
1: It's got dick jokes. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's got great. absurd situation. There's a pirate. There's pirate shit that everyone forgets about. Like, there's a
2: pirate. A whole ass pirate ship. I mean, yeah. come on. So I'm just gonna say. The average Elizabethan audience member was not better educated than the average American. I know that sounds shocking, but it's true, and they loved this shit. It was so popular. Shakespeare was so popular that after he died, people made up plays that they claimed were his last play mm-hmm. <laughs> and they because there was no intellectual property laws back in the day right um and though even those were were popular so it's like. Eh. Yeah. There's a Were sequel there not- to Taming of the Shrew, okay? I just want to point oh. that out. The re-taming a of the It's called bird. The Tamer Tamed. <laughs> the Tamer <laughs> Tamed? I don't think it came out in Shakespeare's lifetime, but it was either right in his lifetime or right after. Oh. And it is hilarious. So, like, Shakespeare was popular. Paris,
0: is The Tamer Tamed not something that we would see <laughs> Ken send us? <laughs> in our Terrible Antiques Books Freaks chat where he just sends us random romance novels with terrible titles and bad blurb. T- tamer Tames totally sounds like one oh of Oh,
1: yeah. Those. It would be about a, a lion shifter falling in love with a tiger <laughs> shifter.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. God.
1: Of course. And they would no, fall it's in just, love in same char- Yeah,
2: Kill It's me. the same characters in Taming of the Shrew. It's just the guy who was the tamer has been tamed. <laughs> Thanks. I don't need to see the play anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert. (laughs) For a play that's 400 years old.
1: Oh, wow. Well, this was certainly a time. Uh, We are going to actually watch the 14-minute film version of Hamlet Machine. So um, I encourage you all to do that just so you can get a sense of the visual and experience it being performed rather than uh, simply read. You can also just find the eight-page... play online for free there are a couple of translations that are out there that are easily accessible so um yeah i don't know thanks so much mary for being here you definitely made this more uh accessible for us
2: <laughs> yeah. no problem thank you
0: for your quick edition of y'all ham and wrong with
2: mary <laughs> i have very strong opinions about hamlet we don't need to get into them because this play has nothing to do with hamlet oh, let's just continue yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah uh yeah so thanks a lot for being here um
1: mary do, do we have places that people can find you, or would you rather not be found on
2: the internet? Uh, yeah, no, um, you can find me um, wandering the streets um, of Boston, like, trying to convince people that theater can be fun. Or, uh, if you are interested in science, you can listen to my podcast by Googling Eureka's Sounds of Science.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, sorry, I forgot the title of that. Thanks for putting that in there. Uh no Yeah, worries. so...
2: You can listen to Mary talk about science. I'm sure we'll have Mary back. Far, f- far fewer rants about Hamlet on my <laughs> science podcast. <laughs> yeah, Mary, Mary does science stuff. That's, for, what, that's when living. you're out
0: on the streets trying to convince people about theater. And they're probably put off a little bit by the sudden Hamlet rants. From
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe strangers. a little bit. It could be the crazy in my eyes or, you know, the way <laughs> yeah. that I grip their hands too hard when I talk about how Gertrude is a really lame character. <laughs>
1: I mean, alternatively, it y'all could- ham it wrong. <laughs> alternatively, it could be all the clown ephemera that's usually on your body.
2: <laughs> could be, could be, could possibly be. Uh,
0: yes, <laughs> just a clown woman running up to me in the streets of Boston, screaming, "Y'all hamming wrong!"
2: I yeah. I mean, usually that's something you see in New York, not Boston. So bringing yeah. it back, bringing it back. Oh, all right. All well, right.
1: let's. Oh, sorry, Chris. Did you have something there? No, I was just saying. Let's let's wrap it up. Yeah. Um. All right. So uh, this is just a segment where we thank patrons. So uh, thank you. Let's give the show a coherent ending.
2: You know. <laughs> like you-
1: I turn to the sea. Blah blah blah. Okay. Um. Thank you, patrons. Thank you to Miri for recommending this. This was a great recommendation. Both both for brevity, uh, of <laughs> form and um. Batshittedness of content thank you miri for sure. being a patron and for recommending this thank you to the rest of Thanks, our patrons mary, you broke me <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually thank you thank you miri for getting mary on the show because i've been trying to find an excuse to shoehorn mary into this podcast for years uh, well thank you to the rest of our glorious patrons thank you darry greg veronica will d jared lynn Senya, Yakub, bobby Blackcat, cat jensina mayo cat elliot kieran martin jay scott Luchek, ctap one miri again yanka robert alan cook the third david <laughs> julius and anya thank you thank you all god patrons have been just been
2: coming out of our ears lately oh my god v david it's amazing yes <laughs> <Wow. Yeah. laughs> it's, it's him. a great Damn. patrons <laughs>
1: Uh we're still waiting on that new art and then we'll put it on some stuff and send it to you patrons. But um I think it's soon to be finished. Question mark. Mm-hmm. Um and if you also want to help support the show, you could become a patron uh at terriblebookclub.com. No, that's no. Well, you could go to terriblebookclub.com. That is our website. Uh, but that was not the address for the Patreon. There is a button to get to the Patreon. I did not start this segment correctly. I'm going to go back and start again. All right. No, uh, keep going. This is funny. This is good. Go. No, Stop um, ruining good air time. So if you, can, if you can find our Patreon, you can subscribe to it. I'm not going to give you its location. Um,
2: you can also simply... We're going to
0: obscure it with postmodern <laughs> website <laughs> plugs.
2: Oh, um, you can very also very on brand. Very on
1: brand. I know. Uh, if if you're if you are a YouTuber, you could go on there and just click subscribe on the Terrible Book Club YouTube channel to help us reach monetization. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Goodreads if you're on any of those platforms. You can send us an email um, at terriblebookclub at do, terrible. Wow, can't talk. No, that's okay. This is postmodernist dialogue. It's <laughs> fine. I can just yes. say nonsense. It doesn't matter. Um, Free you association. Can, go for it. You can email us at terriblebookclub at gmail.com or you can send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, or Patreon, if you're a patron. Um, otherwise, you know, it's it's nice to hear from folks and reviews or uh, if you just want to share the show for others, also helpful for us. Any of those things are cool. Um, I think that's all I've got. If uh, Chris or Mary have anything, go ahead. But otherwise, I think I'm going to skitter off into the darkness.
0: <laughs> you should check out Graveborn. <laughs> At Oh, yeah, Chris, Chris. Where we have a new album coming now.
2: <laughs> Woo!
1: Chris has Got
0: two singles up. When the next episode um, is up from this one, uh, the album will be fully released. On that episode, I talk about just the singles. I should have talked about how the album will be out by then. But hey, you're going to hear it in like reverse order postmodern. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's all part-
2: yeah, I was going to ask on a scale from Bjork to like Philip Glass, how postmodern is your new album?
0: Mmm, I think <laughs> Bjork is still a little too high for it, so if that's like the low end of the scale, like, we're
2: like half a Bjork, maybe? Like, <laughs> okay, no, half a, quarter, a Bjork, that's a, a great. Quarter, no, that's actually my palette there. level, so half that's that's appreciated. Oh my god. It's still
0: pretty very clearly death metal, but like, it's, it's supposed to be able to loop back on itself, like, from start to end, and like... It's a continuous play kind of a thing. So it's one of those. Okay. Things.
2: That's a little postmodern. Okay, so yeah, I'd, I'd call that a radiohead. Yeah. Yeah. Half of Bjork is a radiohead, officially. On a new scale. <laughs> okay,
0: sure. <laughs> Makes sense.
2: Oh, uh, well, hopefully
1: we'll see you all next time for, I guess, the next edition of Postmodernist Scales with uh, Chris and Mary. And
0: Paris. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> all right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, Paris. Bye, Mary.
1: Bye.